1805, the former Vice President of the United States kicked off a plan to strip land away from the U.S. in the recently acquired Louisiana Territory. Or a plan to take land away from Spain that was adjacent to the territory. Or a plan to take troops into Washington City itself, remove President Jefferson, and replace Congress and the government. One of those plans, or all of those plans, had its starting point here, and we'll talk about it today as we go on the search for Blennerhassett Island. Hello and welcome to the Search For Podcast. My name is Ben Bryant and I'll be your host on this journey. I just want to thank you for listening. Please rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Like and follow the podcast at the Search For Podcast on uh, the Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, and that Facebook thing. I'll try to be as interactive as possible, but forgive me if I miss a post. I work, I raise kids and a dog and cats, but without any further ado, I give you Blennerhassett Island. On latitude 39 degrees, 16 minutes and 16 seconds north, and longitude 81 degrees, 37 minutes and 32 seconds west, sits the magnificent Blennerhassett Island. Blennerhassett Island is an island on the Ohio River below the mouth of the Little Canal River near Parkersburg in Wood County, West Virginia, and directly south of Belpre, Ohio. So this is really a labor of love for me. This is the type of thing that um, I have and basically made for. I grew up in Meigs County, which is just down the road from where uh, Blennerhassett Island is. Um, my family were Coleman's. They were um, guides and scouts that lived around either in Washington, Pennsylvania, and some of them moved down towards Belleville and ended up in Meigs County. But they, they were the people that when you bought a claim, a land claim, sight unseen, or if you had it given to you from the government from your um, service in the uh, War of Independence and you actually got your payment that it was it would have been one of my ancestors would have been the the people who you hired to take you to your land claim and they were operating at this time in the area in the ohio valley but even more so like so growing up in grade school we would go on field trips and and that sort of thing and blinterhassett island was kind of the default field trip when i was growing up just because uh, it was close. It was not expensive to go over there. It's fun. You take a ferry boat over there that's an honest-to-God sternwheeler. Like, it's got the great big paddle on the back that pushes you um, to the island. And it's actually kind of a long trip. It's like 20 minutes. So, that's actually pretty cool. And you get to see, you know, you're, you're right in the middle, of dead center of the river. You pass the other ferry boats you're going in. Um you know, the Belpre side has actually got a whole lot of docks and really pretty gazebos and, you know, they're they're living the dock life on the Belpre side. The West Virginia side, not as much, 
but I think they kind of take you down when you go. They take you on the Belfry side just for that purpose because it's prettier and it looks nice. Um, but when you get to the island, especially when I was a kid going to the island, there wasn't anything there. They had identified, by the, at that point, they had identified the foundation of where the mansion had stood. But by that time, it was gone and had been gone for a long time. Um, they hadn't started rebuilding it yet. But it was a cool thing still because, you know, it was a state park, so it was pretty. The grass was always cut nice and low. You know, we could go over there and walk around and, you know, pick up flint and broken arrowheads and all that type of stuff. Walk around and go hang out near the shoreline, you know, and then eat our little sack lunch or whatever. And then go back over on the ferry ride back, you know. Uh it, and, of course, it was historical, so there, it, was, it was an educational trip at the same time. So I, I grow up, I get out of high school, go to the military, I come back. By the time I come back, they have the mansion built, and you can actually take tours. And so it was a, just a kind of a cheap date that I used to go on when I was, you know, fresh out of the military. Because it's pretty over there, and it's, it's just a nice, it's nice, it's it's a really cool and and understand too i am doing this for me and for an educational purpose i am not this is i have no affiliation with the island west virginia state parks i have no association with any of those guys this is just my thoughts on on what blennerhassett is and its value i think it's incredible I wish I lived closer. I would go more often. I would go to just walk around over there because I just think it's it's beautiful and there's just a draw. There is just a weird draw for those of us who are from that area and have just grown up around it. There just is, and I can't explain it. But there was actually an event that occurred that made me want to do this podcast. And... Um, the event is as follows. <clears throat> so, I um, I was married, and my wife and I had two kids. We had two gorgeous daughters, and so we took them to Blennerhassett Island one day. And my youngest daughter is a was a toddler. She's a little girl, and my um, older daughter was about six. And so, while we're on the island. My younger or my oldest daughter wanted had seen like a there was like a little shack like a little um, chip shack you know they had bottles of water and Fritos and that type of stuff in there for sale and so of course my oldest daughter had to have something along those lines so my wife at the time takes her to go get some Fritos or whatever. And then I take my younger daughter and we go get a spot in line because what they had did was, or what they had done was they had a, they had a tour guide standing there at the front door of the mansion, and you just stood there. And when enough people showed up, then she would go ahead and walk you through a tour of the mansion. So I get over there. My youngest daughter, like I said, she's a toddler. She doesn't even know what's going on. She's just kind of playing with the rocks and that sort of thing. And they were just like three ladies that were about my age and then the um, the tour guide and so we're standing there and they're just kind of I don't know they're just kind of asking her typical little goofy questions I don't know and one of the ladies says so what was the government after Harmon for anyway 
And the tour guide set, looks at her and says, um, who knows, you know how the government is, they're always going after somebody. And my jaw drops open and I'm just standing there staring at her and I was like, no, 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 no. He was involved with Aaron Burr. They were committing, if they would have gotten it done, it would have been an act of treason, absolutely. They were trying to siphon land away from the Louisiana territory and, and create their own country. And so as I'm, I'm just on a roll, I'm going with this, and all three of the ladies that are about my age are just staring at me like, who is this guy? And uh, the tour guide is looking at me like, shut up. And so, finally, I feel somebody kicking me on the ankle, and I look around, and it's my wife standing there. So, I wound down and shut up. And as soon as I stop talking, the tour guide looks around at the other ladies and says, Shall we begin? <laughs> and so, we go through the, through, the, um, through the tour. So, as we're going through, my wife looks at me, and she you can tell she's very indignant. And she says, uh, What? was going on what were you doing and so I explained to her what had happened and she's like who cares who cares I said she was wrong she's wrong she's like who cares I'm like Ugh, whatever so anyway what I it that's when it hit me I and I was actually just thinking that ha that happened years ago 12 years ago at this point but I was actually just thinking about not that long ago about how so many of us grow, grew up in that area. We know all about Harmon and Margaret. We can most of us can probably name at least one or two of the kids. We can draw a picture of what the the mansion looks like. Um, but there's not that many of us that know the story. And what's really crazy was, I wanted to learn as much as I could about Harmon and Margaret to do this story, and. I must say, the information that's out there about Harmon and Margaret is um, it's pretty limited. There's a lot. Like if I had a stack of, of the books that I have about the Blennerhassets, it's a pretty decent stack, but it's a whole lot of the same general information. And as a matter of fact, a lot of it is almost direct copies. And I think a lot of that, the reason for that is, is a, a good amount of what I have was written by Dr. Ray Swick. He is the last word in Harmon Blennerhassett. He can tell you everything. The man has forgotten more than I will ever know about Harmon. So all I can do is hope to take his, the stuff that he wrote and move on with it and, and, and put it out there now in a, in a, a form that's a little more current. You know, it's a little, it actually can keep up with the fast pace that we have to live nowadays to manage. So that's the point of this. I, I wanted to go through and tell this story and talk about Harmon and Margaret. What I found is that there's just not that much out there. So what I decided to do, since I couldn't really find a ton of stuff about Harmon or Margaret, um, was I thought, well, so I know there's a lot written about Aaron Burr. So I'll just get all the stuff I can find on Aaron Burr 
and use that to try to go back through and find out what I can about Harmon and Margaret and their involvement in this. Surprisingly, it's a lot. There, There's a lot that you can find, and there's a lot that you can find that's really not part of the Harmon and Margaret lore, and I think that is because there, and this is just what I think, so if I'm wrong, I'm sure plenty of people roll their eyes at this, and that's fine, but I think there's been this idea of kind of cleaning up Harmon and Margaret's image because Harmon went through a treason trial with Aaron Burr. So his name was drugged through the mud just like Burr's was. So I think there's been an effort to straighten that up and, and try to um, to try to clean his name up a lot. One of the books that I have, um, the far and away majority of it is has to do with Harmon and Margaret and the island and then the stuff on Burr and the and the um, conspiracy we'll call it conspiracy but on on that is three pages maybe there's almost nothing to it and it was a huge deal it was a massive deal the the president of the United States accused his former vice president of being a traitor and he did it before his former vice president was has ever been picked up into custody. You know, he, he got involved in a, the president got involved in a, that he really had no business in getting involved in. So that's what this is. This is going to be me trying to describe why, you know, the, just the fact that Harmon and Margaret came to Virginia at this time, at this point it's West Virginia, but they came to um, Virginia and um, what happened to them and why they had to leave this paradise that they had built. So, back to the island. The island is a glacial deposit uh, and natives used the island for thousands of years. So, there is evidence of mound builders, either the Adena or the Hopewell, we don't know which ones, um, which would have been thousands of years ago. Uh, there's been arrowhead stone pipes necklets darts and pottery found all over the island i couldn't tell you how many people i know from down where i grew up who have got arrowheads or you know something along those lines some sort of a of a native american relic that they found on blennerhassett island all of them do and I remember, you know, the, all the times that I've ever been over there, I don't remember ever finding a full arrowhead, but I found, I mean, there's always nappings of flint laying all over the island, you know, especially if you go down to the shore, you see stuff down there all the time. It's, it's everywhere. They're all over the place. Um, natives of the Delaware tribe frequented the island through the mid-18th century. George Krogan recorded the island for the first time on May 19th, of 1765. Chief Nemecolin of the Delaware died on his island home in 1767. So that really concludes what we know about the Native Americans on the island. And maybe there's more out there. I couldn't find it and I scoured because I really wanted to make it a point to talk about the natives on the island because 
you know, people of European descent have been using that island now for 250 years, where Native Americans used it for 20,000. And we really don't know anything about them. We, we don't, you know, like I said, we know that the Delaware were on it about the time that the European descendants started showing up. Or Actually, at that time, they would have been probably straight-up Europeans. But that's really about all we know. So I, I tried. I really did try. If there's anybody out there that has got something good on, uh, on the Native Americans and, and uh, how they worked Blinterhassett Island, I'd be happy to do an addendum to this. But I couldn't find anything about it at all. On October 27, 1770, George Washington described in his diary a cluster of islands while searching for land claimed uh, by officers from the French and Indian War. At that time, there was five islands that totaled 500 acres of a three and a half mile long series of islands. It's often stated that Washington once owned the land, though there is no evidence that he did. And there's actually a pretty good prominence of, of a chain of ownership for the island. Like we, we know who owned it. Um, there was a lot of deeds, a lot of land deeds. It changed hands a lot. We know, and Washington was never, he was never an owner of Blinterhassett Island. You hear it all the time. So the reason I said at that time the island was approximately 500 acres and a cluster of five is because a lock system was built in the Ohio River in 1929 and then later modernized in the 1950s, which raised the level of the Ohio River and caused the loss of almost 120 acres. The island went from 500 acres in 1800 to 381 acres today, and the other four islands were swallowed up as well. My, my grandpa used to talk about this. He was born in 1917, so you know he certainly remembered the river before the lock system was put in place. And he would talk about how there were places you just knew of riffles that you could walk across the Ohio River, and he said you'd never get your knees wet. So, which baffles me. You know, I grew up all my life to this mighty river. You'd look out there and see barges, you know, passing each other two and three at a time. And uh, the uh, just the idea that not that long ago, in his memory, he could remember when the water was so low that you could you could walk across it holding your shoes in your hand and then and there's a lot of things like you'll read when you read firsthand accounts of people coming down the river and seeing the island and just being taken aback by the mansion itself you know they would come down through there and they would look over and see the mansion and they all described it the same way i've read how where they mention that they looked over and saw a mansion on a bluff and when you go today, then um, the mansion is sitting on the, the original foundation. Um, it's clearly not a bluff. You know, it's, it's, a, it's higher off the edge of the water, but it's not that much higher. It's certainly not what you would consider a bluff by any means. But I guess when you think about it, if the water level, and I don't, I'm, pardon me for not knowing how much the um, locks raised the level of the of the river, but if the water level was 25 feet 
higher today than it was back then, then it probably would look like it was sitting on a bluff. Hildreth, in original contributions on the American Pioneer, asserts that Colonel P. Duvall allocated the island along with the track in the mouth of the Musk Kingdom to himself in 1774. There was a land warrant issued in 1780 and then first surveyed in 1784 with a patent made out to the governor of Virginia, who was Patrick Henry. In 1792, Elijah Backus bought two islands off of James Heron of Norfolk. The main island surveyed at 297 acres and sold for a sum of $883.33. We need to keep that in mind because we're going to get back into that in just a minute here. Um, so they named that island Bacchus Island, though it was often referred to as the Isle de Belpris. Um, Bacchus was a lawyer, newspaper editor, and state senator from Ohio. Now the Blennerhassets came to America in 1797 through New York. So they ended up getting a place in New York. They stayed for a little while. Then they went to New Jersey, and they stayed there for a little bit. And then they ended up bouncing to Pittsburgh. They were in Pittsburgh in the fall of 1797. A letter of introduction was written for the Blennerhassets to Judge Dudley Woodbridge of Marietta, Ohio. And the couple rode a keelboat down the Ohio in search of a home. So Marietta was founded in 1788 by officers of the Revolutionary Army as the first settlement in the Northwest Territory under the Ordinance of 1787. The Ordinance of 1787, or the Northwest Ordinance, established a government for the Northwest Territory, outlined a process for admitting a new state of the Union, and guaranteed that newly created states would be equal to the original 13 states. So Marietta was known for being an oasis of culture in the frontier. It was the home of Rufus Putnam, Return Jonathan Meggs, and many other prominent people. The Blennerhassets enjoyed the society of the Marietta residents, and they abandoned plans to look elsewhere. They were actually thinking about going on to Kentucky and trying to find some place, I think around Frankfurt, and they ended up not even bothering. They just liked Marietta, and they said, we're staying here. Um... So, and that's the thing was Marietta was kind of like um, it was kind of like this little I don't want to call it a Paris but it was it was certainly a little cosmopolitan city in the middle of the frontier it was a diamond in the rough um, you know in a, when you're used to seeing nothing but log cabins and that sort of thing and then you pull into Marietta and here's everybody with really nice block and brick houses and um, there was a lot going on. There was there was uh, a lot of shipbuilding there, which is surprising to me. Um, but Marietta, it had its own thing, and and the Blennerhassets enjoyed it there. They they thought it was cool, and they just had a good time. It, it suited them. Um, Marietta, as I said, it was home for several shipbuilders. Being far from the ocean, it still had the Ohio to the Mississippi River. These builders built plenty of ships suitable for transporting goods up and down the river. They also built quite a share of gunboats and warships. Uh, put a pin in that because that'll come around again later on in the story as well. 
So it was during this time in Marietta when they heard about Bacchus Island, which was a better fit for them since it was in Virginia, um, a state permitting slave ownership. So that's the thing. So even though Ohio wasn't a state yet, it was on the road for statehood, and there, there was already an established legislature, and the legislature had already established that Ohio would be a free state. You, you would not be allowed to own slaves in Ohio. But Bacchus Island at that time was a part of Virginia. And uh, as we know, Virginia certainly had slaves. And the Blennerhassets came here with the intention of starting a plantation. And you can't have a plantation without slaves. At that time, you certainly couldn't. In March of 1798... Harmon Blennerhassett verbally agrees to buy 170 acres of the upper portion for $4,500, which is $102,680 today. So this is why I mention how much Bacchus paid for the island. Because keep in mind, Bacchus paid $883 just six years before for the entire main island. He's done nothing to it. Six years later, Harmon comes along and pays $4,500, which, what is that, six times what Bacchus paid? $4,500 for the upper third of the main island. This is kind of a thing with Harmon, and it it will come around again. It just keeps coming around. Um, He had a tendency to overpay for things, and I don't know... If it's just rich guy syndrome where he's got the money, so he's throwing it out there, I don't know. I actually think it's more the concept of big fish, little pond. That's that's kind of what the way I see it. I think that certainly Harmon and Margaret weren't exact from what I can what I read. They didn't seem pretentious, but I think that they were very impressed with themselves. And they thought that everyone should be impressed with them as well. And they should have been. They were both very accomplished people. They should be happy with themselves. But I think walking into Marietta with a big bankroll like Harmon had, and just the fact that people would fall at his feet just to get any, get him to do anything, I think he liked that. And I think that um, it's almost as if he took a, a bit of pride in overpaying for things because he could. I don't know. Obviously, I never met the guy, but that's kind of what I get from reading his stuff. So Harmon, Margaret, and the oldest son, Jonathan, moved into a house about a half a mile away where they lived until the mansion was built in 1800. The island was covered with old-growth willows, sycamore, wild grapevines, trumpet vines, and creepers. Um, Harmon went to Marietta shipbuilder Colonel Joseph Barker, an architect and master builder, to design his island mansion. Uh, The mansion took two years to build and was in excess of $40,000, which is about $917,806 today. They had to clear the land to create the grounds, design and build the manor. Workmen were difficult to come by and construction material arrived slowly. Um, the house itself was built out of poplar and oak. And then there was an awful lot of walnut on the inside. A lot of the um, 
trim stuff was all done out in walnut and so i mean obviously i'm sure that they used as much as they could locally but you know when you're very particular as Harmon was um and they if they had to send away for something they had to send away and they had to wait the Blennerhassets intended for their home to be a palace in the wilderness and it was um, on September 18, 1800, they moved in. Uh, the Blennerhassett started off with 10 slaves. So, let me just cover this real quick. If you get into this very deeply, especially when you see anything about that was actually put out by the West Virginia Historical Society or um, the Blennerhassett Historical Society, you'll notice that they don't at least this was my my observation was there's really not I didn't see the term slave used in any of it they always say servants and I think that goes back to what I was talking about earlier where we're kind of trying to clean their names up a little bit I don't think that we want to refer to Harmon and Margaret as, as slave owners which they were they had a Virginia plantation they had slaves that's how it was i personally am not one of these people who believes that it's right to judge historical figures by modern morals and i know what the argument against that is that there were lots of abolitionists back in that time you know that like i said they moved from ohio they chose to not live in ohio so they could own slaves i'm not going to beat them over the head about that that's what they came here for they came here to make a plantation and own human beings and that's what they did so i don't really feel like it's my place to dog them out for that it's what they were doing however in the same token i'm not going to sugarcoat it either i'm not going to call the people who work for them servants and talk about how they were part of the family they weren't they were owned human beings and it was a despicable practice that I'm glad we are not doing anymore. Um, Harmon was a slave owner. He was a slave trader. And uh, he was gone a lot. And he, had, and he had his hands in a whole lot of different business dealings. But part of his business was trading in slaves. So that's how it was. Um, and I will not refer to them as servants. The mansion was built in a Palladian style, crescent moon shape with the main living quarters in the center and two wings, all with fronts facing east. Um, the right-hand wing was the library, laboratory, and study with philosophical apparatus. The left wing was for kitchen and slave quarters. The home itself had ten rooms. I'm going to continue saying laboratory because I think it's funny and it sounds like something that Harmon would be into to me. And I have nothing to back that up. I just think it's funny and it seems like Harmon to me. He hung out in the laboratory. The mansion was outfitted with the most lavish furnishings available. Black marble adorned the entrance floor, walnut panelings in the rooms, gold leaf cornice, heavy silver doorknobs and handles accompanied the doors and windows great heavy folding doors opened a massive dining room that was the heart of the home 
The 14-seat dining room table sat centered and adorned by extravagant silver and porcelain. Margaret owned four sets of Parisian porcelain. The Blennerhassett's chairs were made by Baltimore's Finley brothers, especially for the mansion, and all 12 in a captain style. So, <clears throat> I wanted to include all that. I know it seems like a bunch of nonsensical detail, and I, that's actually um, a really condensed list. Like, you can find so much detail about what was in the house. It's out there. It's all over the place. And I didn't want to include all that because I think it would end up putting you to sleep. But I did want to include some because I wanted to make the point that the Blennerhassets, one of the things that they did was they brought um, a culture and a sophistication, even as cosmopolitan as Marietta was, it was nothing like what they brought to the island. What they brought to the area was just... Uh, it it made jaws drop. People were in in awe of, of what they did with that mansion because they ordered stuff. They spared no expense. They ordered stuff from all over the world. And if it took six months to get here, eh, it took six months to get here. What do you want from me? That's what we want. The grounds were maintained by the gardener the Blennerhassets had brought from England. His name was Peter Taylor. In a very short time, the Blennerhassets had a fantastic plantation built. To the west of the home was populated with fruit flowers and shrubs. The exterior border was planted with peach, pear, quince, and apricot trees. On the south was an extensive vegetable garden with an orchard of apple, plum, and cherry trees. The farm below the west grew an abundance of wheat, corn, and other grains in the meadow that they kept cattle and swine. In all, a hundred acres were dedicated to growing crops and the orchard. So what's crazy to me about that was that Peter Taylor had fruit trees growing. They only lived there for six years. So clearly this dude was the green thumb of the planet. But I can only imagine that in order to get fruit trees there... He would have had to have almost had to have dug up nearly mature trees and bring them there. Like I said, they were only there for six years, and and here he's got blooming fruit trees, which is baffling to me. So Taylor running the gardens and the arbors with Virginia native Thomas Neal um, was the dairyman and farm superintendent. Uh, the slaves on the islands number from. The numbers vary from 10 to 20. It is widely accepted that Harmon dealt in slaves himself. He did. Um, Margaret was educated thanks to her two aunts. She was fluent in Italian and French, and she was an accomplished horse rider. Her horse's name was Robin, and she often rode her into town. Um, I think Marietta is about 12 miles away, and, and, and of course that depends on... They had a ferryman. So I guess that would just depend on how far the ferryman took her um, to get to the mainland so she could ride into Marietta. The mansion was home to frequent parties and get-togethers where Harmon would often quote long passages from the Odyssey from memory and Margaret would often quote Shakespeare or read Shakespeare which she read from French and translated as she went. So Margaret knew French. 
she was well-versed, shall we say. Um, today on the island, there's two other houses, the Neal House and the Putnam Hauser House, Maple Shade. The Neal House was built by mercantile banker George Neal in 1833. Neal at that time owned that portion of the island and had a, his grand brick home built there. The poet Walt Whitman was a guest at the Neal House and wrote his poem, Isle La Belle Riviera, there. Um, the house is in absolute ruins today. There's just the the walls aren't even complete. It, it looks like it it looks like a building that got shelled by mortar fire. Um, the Putnam Hauser House, also known as Maple Shade, was, was constructed in 1802 and moved to Blenheim Island by barge in 1986. The home has been restored to match its historic appearance and is open to the public for tours that include historic artifacts from the early 19th century. The home was built for the family of Aaron Waldo Putman, the grandson of Revolutionary War General Israel Putman, and the home is located on a parcel of land in Belpre on the Ohio side of the river, and then, like we said, it was moved over by barge. So this is where we're going to quit. Um, I actually kind of got into Harmon and, and Margaret a little bit, and I didn't really want to do that. Um, we'll get into them in the next episode. I really, on this one, just wanted to talk about the island and the home. And there's only, you know, there's, they, you kind of have to talk about Harmon and Margaret to get into some of the details on that. So, anyway, I'm, I'm trying not to repeat any more than I, than I absolutely have to. What, I'll, what I want to do is I want to break it up. You know, this episode was about the island and the mansion. Uh, the next one will be about Harmon and Margaret. The next one will be about Aaron Burr. And I'm going to take them all up to where they all meet each other. And then we'll go with the conspiracy, then into the trial, and then into the aftermath. So this is going to take a while. And I hope you join me on this trip because I'm ready to do it. So I just want to thank you for listening. Remember to rate and review, subscribe and follow. The Search For Podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Don't forget to listen in two weeks when I'll be back with the story of Harmon and Margaret and how they got from Ireland to an island in the middle of the Ohio River. My name is Ben Bryant. You have been listening to the Search For Podcast, and I hope you come back for episode two. Thank you.